All right. Cat and Lou podcast. Today is, uh, oh. well, it doesn't matter what day today is because this pot, this episode yes. is going to be released later. We're going to, this will be yes. our first episode we release in later. schedule. In some sort of scheduling. Fashion. Also, we're not doing any video, so we get to. We should actually probably start the video on your podcast, on your iPad. You so think? you can cut it later and put clips out. Oh, you mean just take a recording? I think so. I don't know if you have room on there, but I think it's a good idea to record all the ones that we do. What do you think about oh. that? Bad idea, good idea? Jeez, Jay. Jeez, Jay. Well, let me let me close a few things. At least it's not a baby whale, bro. Here, you Dude. can plug in as well. I think that oh. our listeners would probably be amused to know how how much nourishment we get from watching it's a baby whale. Yes. And, uh, and there was the two moose. Fighting. Yes, the moose. These are the kind of things we watch in between yes, episodes dude. that refresh, you know. What do you do? You you get up from an episode and you, you go downstairs. You urinate. <laughs> yeah. There's no coffee left. That's fine. Boo. I really ought to have a cup of something. Yeah. We're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. We're doing one-hour segments. Yes. We're just not... Uh, you want to start the video? I don't know. What do you see. think? Let me, you check the, let me check the, uh, how much memory is there? You know, because yeah, that's what we yeah. run into when we start doing big uh, iPad storage. Let's look at it. Well, it tells me that I've got 20 gigabytes of space. That's a lot of space. That'll fit a two gigabyte yes. you know, thing. Whoa. I don't know. 43.6 of 64 used. But it doesn't look like it's empty. Look at all those apps taking up space. No, but I think that the, the thing space? on the top is just telling you what is taking up what. Oh, all right. Why is Safari taking up 33 gigabytes? It just happens, dude. Some people... Do I was have to online. drop the cache? You have to drop the cache, yes, and maybe update. And I have even heard people say that they had to back up everything, reset their device, and re-download everything. Oh, I did this. Mm -hmm. Yes, I had to go and because uh, I'm all my stuff is supposed to be stored in the cloud. Yeah, right. It's not supposed to be on my device. I did that in the settings, but well, that's why you don't have a bunch of photos and stuff taking up space. Yeah, it's a, literally just your apparatuses on there. Yeah, well, I'm I'm provoked. <laughs> I am I, provoked. I have a feeling rage. that the, almost the only way that we can get this to be available is probably um facebook lives downloads well we can do facebook live and then we can download oh there you go yeah so you filled out yeah okay they'll get it and uh and we went from 33 gigabytes just chilling out for a second to where safari's down to 133.8 megabytes yeah see it changes so it's it weird changed. i think it's just like has to think about it for and a while we can fine. we can record this yes. in the in the direct to device yes. capacity right so i'm going to close this out hey uh apologies dear listeners i hope that you guys can at least enjoy the concept of <laughs> being part of the early early days and first technical wonderings and wanderings of uh these two uh Little, little menchies here. Well, did didn't we do something with a? Didn't we do something with a pen last time? We did, but I don't think what was we, it? we stuck a pen inside the clip. But I think your clip deal you have right now is even more better. Oh, uh, we did this. We did it like this. We put this here, and then threw a pen. And we in. threw a pen into it, and the pen was like the right size. 
That's not the right. No, I so said you need something with a little taper to it. Does that work? What is that? Oh, my goodness. Get that mechanical pencil. Oh, the pencil. Dear listener. Or Sharpie worked last time. Was that what it was? Yes. I think the pencil will work. Yeah, it does. It does. Doesn't it and it works. even clips. Oh, wow. I mean, have we really come this far? Yeah, we have. We put a man on the moon and now Holy this. Holy Jay. Oh, you got to hit the record on the, on the recording. Oh, we weren't recording that on the video. Yeah. So, all right. So, now... All right, for real, we spent now. the first four and a half minutes of our time together <laughs> deciding first we were going to not do a video product, but then we were like, "Oh, we should," um, because then we can. And I can't remember the rest. There was something that we could do. I think we're podcasting about podcasting right now. I know Aren't that's you? like I'm starting to feel like one of the most important parts is like don't make your podcast about the podcast making the podcast really but it, it's being new Gosh. to things you get you get these situations where you're like oh man this is extreme like i'm having i'm getting the business from this thing so so dear listeners you've <laughs> you've blundered your way through the uh, internet oblogosphere into a place of complete an utter chaos. <laughs> and now I'm under a desk. Ah, yeah. I'm under a desk oh. fishing out. Oh yes. I'm in a tiny I mean I'm in a tiny I don't know what this room was, like a walk in closet back in the Surely Vic not, was back it? In the, really? like, Victorian era. This this house was built in nineteen <clears> hundred. That's not the Victorian era, but it was yeah. called a Victorian, I think. <laughs> I, the fact that we don't know yeah, what we're doing dude. for now, we're going to just try to pawn that off as, to some degree, endearing. Yes, right. And authentic. But, I mean, it will get old fast. And I don't think that people come here to hear a couple of guys grumbling about that. Clips so and we won't grumble. Friends. We'll That's just fine. joke our way through it. Yeah, no grumbling. So this is an audio only with a supplemental video that we're supposed to pull highlights from. Yeah, dude. You hear the self-doubt? It's fine. I think, dude, I've watched you put together a skate video in like three minutes on iMovie, so I don't think this will be a problem. I like that. So, I really don't. so here we are. Episode three. Episode three, the early, early years. Days, yeah. Um, uh, the early days or whatever yeah, it is. Early, yeah. It's years. The series is the early days, but we're in the early years of Lou. Oh, there it is. Lou Um. Um. We left off episode two. We talked about more of your history, 14 to 16, a lot of angst and anger and you know, rage. You and, know, and talking about it that yeah. much, I'm a little tired of it. And I thought, you know, why don't we, why don't we do episode one of your life, Luke? You want to? Why not? I, I think that. Uh, yeah, but we're going to leave people hanging. No. Is that the point? No, dude, we can in. stagger. Okay. Like this will be episode one of Luke. Okay. You know, I'm like down. let's let them get to know both of us at the same in time. time. I'm not, okay. not completely familiar or uh, comfortable with um monopolizing like five episodes in a row it'll take five episodes to tell a you know like okay perspective on a life yeah so why don't we why don't we talk about like what's the what's the deal what with what's me? the deal with luke that's a good question where would you like to start in your story i guess we'll just start in the beginning that's probably a good place to start i'm gonna uh you i go ahead you and I were having a discussion mm -hmm. about discussing. <laughs> Remember that? Yes. I was just thinking about how to, that's an, 
it's a, it is interesting once you start talking about your story, how do you, how do you talk about other people and other circumstances that don't represent people in a good light, but, but also yeah. be faithful to the truth as well. So I think we'll, we'll, we'll tiptoe through this minefield as Asswell. respectfully as well as, as we can, as we can. Um, uh, you know, one of my thoughts about that was like, I don't like sanitized stories me neither there's a quote that's banging around in the wide world it's by some lady who had a lot of moxie she was a social activist yeah and she said something like you know uh if you if you didn't like your part in my story right you should have acted a better part well uh, and it's kind of cold yes and that but the sword cuts both ways you know like i think people have the opportunity to be bummed about some sort of narrative that we say about them, but then start a podcast and talk to talk about the part that I played in your story because I sure is I definitely have not necessarily skeletons in my closet, but times where I behaved in such a way that I wish that I could do over for sure. You know what I mean? And anybody who has a different, per, uh, you know, um, expectation about people's stories, I think that they're really misguided because everybody has done things that they wish they hadn't have done, and everybody. A lot of people have things that happened to them that they wish hadn't happened, and there's just a lot of that. So, at the same time, trying to cover other people's shame, I think, is a good, a good mo. You know, trying to be kind to people and yeah. realize there's a difference between you know fault and responsibility and things of that nature, which are really important to talk about. So, because my story is a pretty, a pretty stock and standard story of a kid with big questions. Yeah. Your story includes some themes that that's trauma life for the listener. That's trauma. I feel better. Uh, uh, you see the spirit come off me. Uh, yeah, dude. Dear listener, I think that some of you can relate to trauma laughter. Yes, um, it's uh, it's high speed, low drag with mine for sure, dude. Well, it was high speed, high drag. I don't know if we need to give some trigger warnings out at the beginning. Oh, I'm not that sure actually... that I believe in them. Real life doesn't give you warnings. But yeah. I think that our listeners need to be uh, prepared to buckle up. Yeah. Um, as they, as Luke tells whatever portions of his story he wishes, um, I hope that if you share things in common with Luke's story, yeah, that you... That his that his story would be a help to you, yeah. Um, because it deals with themes of essay. Yes, I noticed. I don't understand the, but people are using uh, initials now. Yeah, I don't. I'm. I think that they. I think that there there are videos being flagged or something, and people are worried about yeah. censorship. I'm not. I've kind of decided not to be as worried about it. Yeah, um, but, I think it's uh, fine. There are really gnarly things that Luke went through as a young kid, and um, as he tells his story, uh, it's going to probably touch on some of you folks out there because um, I've been really sad as I've discovered that this is much more common. Oh my gosh, dude! Yeah. I think I've heard it's one in three in women and one in four in men for all types of sexual violence, and when by violence I mean the full spectrum, whether okay. it's your uncle who touched you or whether it's 
you know, getting jammed into a bathroom stall or some crazy fucking shit like that. I'm also gonna, I can't, I don't know if I can tell the story without using the F word. I'm just gonna go ahead and do it. I well, I mean, we've yeah, already I, crossed it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I gotta just be myself. I don't know, dude. I, one I'm, of my filters is utility. Yeah. So, right. just keep going. Yeah. Good. I'm not cringing about it. Good. Well, we'll just begin then, in the beginning. You were born. I was born in Cincinnati in 95. I'm 27 now. Um, I'm from a really big family. Uh, there were 10 of us for a long time. We had a couple of casualties along the way. It was a hot LZ. <laughs> it was a target-rich environment. Uh, and I love, I love where you put that. I know. It, was, it really was, dude. Oof. And uh, my parents were, were great. They were very kind people, very, um, I think, starry-eyed in some ways. They just, I think, ever since my mom was little, she wanted to have 10 kids or 15 kids and adopt five, and my dad was kind of just down to clown. Um, and I think for a long time that went really well for them. I, I, when I was born, my oldest sister was already probably 15 or 16. You know, they had good long amounts of time with I don't know minimum minimum amounts of chaos how many siblings there was 10 of us including me for a long time so but there were siblings. other nine siblings but the there were there was a there was a lot so it's like my mom man the numbers are this is such a hard question because there was 10 of us for a long time and then um but there was 11 of us though is and that then, because of your brother who was adopted? Well, then, yeah, I have a brother who was adopted from... Does that make 11? That I think was 11. And then I had a sister who... She passed when she was like one day old. She was born okay. with Downs and a hole in her heart. So she passed. That was that before I was born. 12. That's 12. And then my parents had a couple... Maybe one stillbirth and three miscarriages or something. So That's a lot of business. It was a lot of business. Yeah. You're not joking about a hot LZ. No, it was a lot. There's a lot of people. And we did. We were not overtly wealthy. So like the first house we lived in, in College Hill, was probably like a four bedroom with a attic and then one bathroom. So there was just a lot of people. There was a lot going on at all times. Um, and I think that my mom was pretty much a stay-at-home mom the entire time. She was just doing mom stuff. I think that she homeschooled a lot of us for a long time. Um, <clears throat> and my dad did different types of jobs. I don't know what job he did when I was born, but he began to, he ran a business that I'm not going to get into it. It's nothing crazy, but I don't know their specifics, but he had his own business doing some life insurance thing or something. And, um, and then what happened was the first probably um, the first event that is kind of a milepost in the journey was when I was six, I think I was six, my older brother, he passed in his sleep. So he died in his sleep. Um, like he was house sitting for a neighbor next door and he passed. And that is when the chaos, I, the perceived chaos in my life kind of began because he and I were very super close. Um, and he, I was like his little buddy. He was 16. I was six, but he was like kind of taking me under his wing and stuff. And I remember being a kid and being, there was so much going on and there were so many people and my parents were just two people. So like, I've always been super tender hearted and very, very sensitive and a big feeler. And all I wanted was everybody to 
be together and everybody be on a team and like all of us like taking care of one another. I don't ever recall any like I don't know. I don't know what other people's experiences were like, but I, I wasn't malicious. I was super innocent, very tender. Um, but I felt definitely felt very lost. I was like kind of just lost in the fray, and especially so. My brother passed, and that was it was very quick, and it was very cataclysmic for our family. My mom really struggled. She really struggled. That hit her really, really hard. And I recall that day very vividly because I remember feeling like everything had changed in this like really crazy cataclysmic way and i didn't understand how to handle it at all you know like and all the attention was driven towards my mom because she was really she was it really it really rocked her really hard i think yeah. and rightly so i mean her son had just died like that and he was gone and um with no forewarning at all um there are we have like a working theory about how he passed which is a genetic heart condition that some of the people in my family carry and so that's what they think happened um you know it's marked by a person a lot of times people wake up in the morning and then they'll pass out and it's there's different symptoms that can mark it and so actually what was really tremendously difficult is that my mom had noticed that stuff and had taken with the doctor but he was 16 and he was like 6'6 like he was super tall you know, oh, he's just getting up too quick. And so he's just like getting up and then passing out. And it's because he's just getting up too fast. And But it turned out probably he had that condition pretty badly and that he just, it, what happens is you, you pass out and then your, your heart goes into cardiac uh, arrhythmia mm -hmm. and then you go into cardiac arrest. So your heart just stops. Um, and so that happened and, uh, yeah, that day has really struck in my memory. I haven't really talked about that or thought about that, but it's really, I was like down the street playing with some kids and then like every, it was like chaos, you know, all the cops and the firefighters and then my mom's freaking out and then so lost, like super lost. And this is, that aspect is, I think kind of marked my life in some ways. I've always had a hard time, kind of similar to what you were talking about. I, I had a hard time figuring out like how things worked. And I've always have felt like, even as I've gotten older, I had to work really hard to get over this. I felt like other people knew things that I didn't know. And I was trying to figure out how to understand them. Like even like at a restaurant, like we had such a big family and we were, you know, not super wealthy. So like we would go to a restaurant every once in a while. And I remember feeling like super anxious mm -hmm. about ordering food mm -hmm. because I didn't know what any of the words meant on the page. I didn't understand the difference between an entree and an appetizer. I didn't understand that if you get an entree, you get fries with it or maybe another side. And I saw other people handling that with a plum and then it would get to me and I would just be like, a plum, a plump, you know, like totally lost. Um, so yeah, we that, actually the day that my brother died, my, a couple of my older sisters took me out to like Cracker Barrel and I've never been before. And it, like, it was meant to be like, Hey, like, it's okay. Things going to be okay. But it was a really stressful ordeal for me because the waiter was trying to make me more feel more comfortable, but he was doing all these jokes and stuff. And like, I didn't know what to order. And like, I ended up getting something that I fucking hated, Ooh, you know, it was like that. sucked because I was really hungry and things were so chaotic. But like mm. this interaction I had with this waiter, he was like trying to make me feel more comfortable. And it was just like making me feel less comfortable. The idea of losing, losing a close sibling yeah, and having your order go wrong at 
a restaurant. Yeah, and like somebody called the house like either that day or the next day, and they were like, "Hey, is your brother there?" And I was like, "Oh, he died." <laughs> like I just hit him straight. I just straight shot him, and there was like a neighbor over, like, or people were like over from church, and they were like cleaning and stuff, and like she like ripped the phone out of my hand and was like. Oh, he's not available right now. And it was like this big thing. And it was like another one of these moments where I felt like something had happened that I didn't understand. You like did nobody, it yeah, like did it wrong, you know, like, yeah. and nobody was like helping me understand like, Hey, this is just like the way the world works and it's okay that you feel confused about it. Um, so that hit me really hard, I think. And it, and it really solidified this kind of isolation that I felt and this confusion that I felt like I, was working really hard. And I think in retrospect, probably what was happening is that I was trying to figure out how to get attention from the people around me because there's like eight of us at that point. There was like so many people. My parents were just doing their thing. And it's really hard when you have that many kids in the house to give each one personalized attention. And I was, because I was so sensitive and, you know, um, I didn't handle all that really well. I wanted somebody to look at me and be like, you know, it's okay, or you matter, or you're help important, or help me. Yeah. I think I was six or seven when that happened. And you said you didn't handle it how? With a plumb. Like a, <laughs> yeah. Like, like six-year-old kid. Yeah, like, you ain't got the tools, dog. You know, yeah, like, you ain't tools got the tools. Exist. Yeah, they literally don't even exist. That sort of thing. Yeah. Did you have an extended family as well as your, your mom and dad? Or yeah, what? there was a lot of extended family, but we weren't, we were kind of close to them, but also not kind of close to them at the same time. I think our family was a little bit of a, like, we were kind of eclectic. There were so many of us. And it, so it's like a, a huge ordeal. Like, if you invite the copies over to your house, you got to have like 1,800 people. You know what I mean? Like, yes. it's not just like three people, four people, even five people. It's like literally 11 people. And all of us, like, maybe a little bit more maladjusted and like feral kids you know like because it's just crazy you got that many people there's a lot so, of people so coming from a large family yeah six years old you're hit with utter tragedy not just you but your whole family yeah right hit with total tragedy yeah talk about talk about ferality talk about feral yeah well i think it really i think my mom it it had it actually worked to awaken a lot of the things in her past that she had never dealt with and they all came up, like, all at once. Um, my mom had been a victim of SA, particularly savagely, for extended periods of time. And I, the narrative, as I understand it, was that that had been suppressed. And then that, when that happened with my brother, it all came up. Because I remember, like, my mom was, like, and, in the backyard. And while we're using, hey, go ahead. While we're using initials, yeah. specifically the SA was SRA. S-R-A. Yes, it was SRA. As far so, That's the narrative that I have and the, I understand the, it to the, be. The narrative and understanding are that it was it was a cultic, yes. like yes. crazy yes. Like, situation. So at the time, right. after your brother's death, yeah. you're six, you're seven years old, right. your dear ma is going through. Oh, in absolute that. ringer, dude. Like, as a person who's had to do the walkout on my own journey, like that stuff is a whole, di it's so dark, so savage. I mean, it will bring a person to their very knees. Like, so you, yeah, you don't have a whole lot of margin. And my dad's job as my dad is to take care of my mom. So he's working really hard to do that. And so in the, in the void there, there's just a lot of room for Ferality. Yeah, for ferality. Yeah, exactly. Like, word? yeah, feralness? yeah, feralness. Like, where the kids have to figure things out yeah, on their own. Yeah, right. And 
Was it sort of Lord of the Flies? It, it was a little bit Lord of the Flies. It wasn't so much then, but as people began to get older, it really, it just compounded upon itself. And, and, it, and everybody was working out their own grief and chaos in their own way, and it was really savage. So that happened, and we were living in Ohio, and then um, my mom started to get really concerned with the crime in our neighborhood neighborhood like maybe a year or so after that happened mm. i can't i can't remember it, there was some sort of time frame and so was that north college hill yeah that well no it was it was right on the verge of college hill on north college hill mm -hmm. yeah it was right in that area so we ended up moving to kentucky in between like like half an hour south of richmond in between mount vernon and berea kentucky uh, my parents bought a farm, like how, a 16 acre old farm. Were you when you moved, I think I was like seven. I feel like it happened really quick. Okay, like it was like my brother passed and everything was chaos, and my mom was really struggling with that. So I, yeah. and I think that was part of what kind of drove my parents to make that decision was just to get away from that area and like yeah. try to rebuild in some ways. So we moved, which was a huge change. I mean, it was wild. We went from like living inner city life to like being farmers with no animals but like living on a farm it was like 16 acres and the culture was so different even as a kid i was like kind of culture shocked and like and that's when th things were really starting to pick up speed and change at that point because um we moved and then my dad around the same time maybe a year after we moved he uh he went to prison because of a like a business decision that he made it wasn't necessarily it was like a white collar crime. yeah it was like a super white collar crime it was uh not necessarily unintentional but it was it was well intentioned in it but it was illegal and um they got him for that so like you had all these things happening kind of compounding on each other like my brother passed and then my dad was charged and then sentenced and then about how old were you then like seven or eight. Like so I feel like it happened really quickly. So from your perspective, this was a it was like boom, 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 boom. Yeah, right. You lost and it, your brother. Yeah, and everything you got was a changing. Bad order of food at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, it was horrible. Strangely <laughs> off-putting waiter. Yeah, well, dude, and poor guy. Then your, yeah. your mom's your mom's experience and her narrative began to come out. Yes. And that's meltdown material. Utter lost, yeah. lost brother. Right. Bad Cracker Barrel order. Yes. Uh, SRA. Yeah. Uh, I, and then you moved. Right. And a completely different neighbor neighborhood type of style. Yeah. Like, what, what was the difference between living in in College Hill? Yeah. And in moving out to near Berea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the big differences is like in College Hill, your the next house next to you was like ten feet away. Like you could reach out and touch it almost. Mm -hmm. But this guy, the house we moved to, it was like not necessarily isolated. Like you could see other houses, but it's not like you were like close with your neighbors at all. You know what I mean? At least you have to build that relationship intentionally. You're not going to catch your neighbor walking in with groceries. Like yeah. you actually have to like walk for 10 minutes to get to their house and be like, yeah. hi, which we eventually did. Obviously, you know, you live in a place long enough, but it, it was very isolating. I feel like, but really? I wasn't. I don't remember that time very well. I think I was really shell-shocked. And I was literally just going with the flow real hard. Like, I was... I could not figure out what was happening. And I think my MO was at the time was just like, shut the fuck up, put your head down, just survive this onslaught. You know what I mean? With zero tools. Like, 
no understanding what was happening. Kid. Like, yeah, yeah, super young. And, it, and you know, when I was six, I have three younger siblings and they were in the same chaos. I mean, all the kids were in the same chaos. My parents did exactly what any, any people in that situation would have done, which was the best that they knew how to. And But then your dad went to jail. But then my dad went to jail, yeah. And my mom was pretty much crippled by that. She was like... Absolutely. I mean, it brought her literally to her knees. Like, it, she really struggled. And, like, on top of everything that had already come up. Yeah. And she had done work to try to deal with those things. But, man, a lot of those things that have a tendency to be lifelong, they are... It's like... It's like trying to... Trying to de-weed an entire 10-acre plot of land. You know what I mean? By I mean, hand. by hand, literally every year you, you have to be never, out there. You never get the whole thing yes. weeded in one well, season. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so it's a, it's, it is an overarching movement of a, a person's entire ethos and soul in one direction that takes such a tremendous amount of effort. And if you don't have tools or help, or if your husband goes to prison, man, yeah. God have mercy on you. I mean, you are in the shit of it. Like, And she, she had moved an hour away. Yeah, two hours away. Two hours yeah. away from the people that she used to know. Right. And I don't know that the people, I don't know if, I don't know what her friend group was like. I don't know if she had found a lot of support that she then left. Or if she had left a lot of trouble that, you know. Yeah, I mean, that has a tendency to happen too. Like all the people who you thought were cool, turns out that maybe they weren't as cool as you thought. And like maybe super not cool. So you get out. You know, just, yeah, just a perspective yeah. moment. You know, when we start stories like this that include essay and yeah. include just mayhem and, and utter chaos, um, a lot of the stories have characters in them who are what what we would see in the narrative form as what do you call them, the antagonist, yes, the bad protagonist, guy, the yeah, bad yeah, guys. right, the antagonist, right, and and that that may well be to significant points true. Yes, we have a lot of people who are just trying to yeah literally you know they're just trying to they're trying to make it oh my gosh dude. and the mistakes oh, and God. things that might be part of a story like this have to be it's not just saying them right but helping our listeners to hear them right right not talking about like uh just intention here right like when you when you delve into stories like this uh, a lot of times you're dealing with situations that take a lot of empathy. Oh my gosh. Not just to understand, because right. I don't think a lot of it can be understood. Yes. I think that understanding is very, very difficult. Stories like this are, like you said, they just bring you to your knees Oof, and they'll just break you. Yes, literally. And the point of telling stories like this isn't so much to package them up. Yeah, no. Or even to get closure. Right. Um, the point, uh, sometimes one of the things that happens when a person tells a story like this, no, no, Luke, yeah, you've been ahead. with me a while and, and yeah. you've been doing good, you know, like hard work. Yeah. But the point is to help other people get their own story flowing. Yeah. Uh, begin dude. to look at what's going on and begin to achieve yes. some objectivity toward what's happened. Yes. And before we, before we go on from when you moved out to yeah. the country. Right. I, I want to kind of like ask, are there things that you did or that happened yeah. that have helped you achieve some objectivity toward what you've gone through? Uh, later in life, far later in life, yes. But then, no. No, there's nothing. No, no. But when, when, you, when you came up yeah. for air, yeah. 
Um, can you like, like list two things that two things that helped you get that objectivity later on oh. make this story possible to yeah. tell without yeah without I, I mean i hope that this doesn't re-traumatize no, you, no, but, no no i feel good about know, it yeah, yeah and i feel good I, I think putting those out first might help our listeners who may share some of these things might help them to to see like hey before before we get into some of the gory details and i'm not saying we're going to be highly detailed yeah but before we address some of this stuff what are some of the things that folks can do or folks can know right to maybe help them in some of the processing of of this very difficult life stuff yes what do you think bro well the first and biggest thing is um having my experience with jesus was really what grounded everything it took everything all the chaos and mayhem uh had finally had some sort of framework that made any sense to me like finally and it not only that the framework was after what really mattered to me when I when I first experienced God in a real way in my life was that um, I felt like I had a reason to do any of the things that I wanted to do. I, when I f finally met God, that was after all of this, um, and I was definitely on my way to dying of heroin in a gutter somewhere because I had decided that life was intrinsically meaningless and that there was obviously something inside of me or something intrinsic to who I was that was defective in some ways that I could not understand, but everybody else around me saw and understood wow. inherently. So no matter what I did... You're talking about 15, 16 Yeah, literally, yeah, 15, like when 16, I was 15 yeah. or 16 years old. I, I, so, so you're describing what some people would encapsulate as your faith. I, yes. It always bothers yes. me because things like this are not, they're not really encapsulable. No, you know? no. Yes. But like, right. So there was your, you talked about finding God. Yes. You talked about getting, getting to know God. Right. You talked about Jesus. Yes. All right. Yes. And I, of course that's going to take some unpacking. Yes. And, and we'll, for some we'll, folks that's unpalatable. Well, and that's fine. And that is fine. That is fine. Um, right. For, uh, and, and what are some other things that we're, well I'm looking for maybe yeah. we'll top out at two or three then return to the narrative. Yes. Well the the next biggest one was literally years and years and years of soul grinding, staring the truth in the face, going and talking to counselors, talking to people that I trusted, processing really Un uncovering everything that I had worked so hard to cover up and that other people had worked so hard to cover up so I could stare at it in the face and then begin to organize it in different piles and then going to different piles and and getting things organized in such a way that I could look at them and engage with them and then doing the work of engaging with them, seeing the damage wrought and then beginning to decide you know, to stand on the truth of the Christian worldview that I have that that was a huge thing that brought a tremendous amount of healing because a huge thing that happens inside of all the traumatic stuff is you begin to believe things like there's something wrong with me that only other people can see, that they'll always see and I'll always be abandoned, that are intrinsically untrue. So, and you have to, it's like being unbrainwashed. You have to go no, through this good. huge 10-year process of unbrainwashing. It's interesting that a lot of people see it as being brainwashed as well. Yeah, right. Um, yes. Uh, okay, so that's... Those are two things. Yes, you had you had some sort of uh, the way you describe it is with a fairly subjective experience of Christian spirituality. You yes. were experiencing Jesus. Yeah. Did you grow up in church? Yeah, my parents were both believers, and we went to church all the time. Um, and 
that was just like inherent to our life. Like my parents have always been as faithful as they could have been in the situations mm -hmm. that they were in. And mm -hmm. we always went to church every Sunday. And um, so you had, you had a running framework as a yeah, child. That exactly. God, what, right. Like, that God loved you. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't articulated at all. I wasn't old enough. By the time the chaos had begun, I wasn't, I hadn't been old enough to really understand any of the Bible stories or understand who God was, but I had like a, like a 35,000 foot view of this idea of who God was that like he yeah. was nice and he liked you and loved you. And, and that was part, I think of what made it so difficult is because I felt like not only did other people see something intrinsically wrong with me, mm -hmm. but there must've been something wrong with me so that God himself, he didn't hate me. He was just indifferent, you know, like mm -hmm. he was just, yeah, yeah, just indifferent. Like he just, so and that's, that was that's part of the quite chaos. a yeah. that's quite a foggy yeah. foggy framework to <laughs> yeah. work with, and that's what yeah. that's what we work with. Yeah, it is what kids. it is. I wasn't raised so much in church. I didn't get from right. I mean, I didn't go to church often enough or care. I, didn't, I don't think my church I went to cared enough to really impart anything serious to me. And um, uh, so let's return to your narrative. Yeah, so you're you're six, seven, eight years old. You've moved to Kentucky. Yes. Your dad has landed in, in prison. Yeah, but I think that was later on. Maybe I'm. I, it feels really fast to me now that I'm thinking about it. That was that was probably later on. So like when we got to Kentucky, I had been like, like ten, eleven. Yeah, it was probably more like ten or eleven. So there was probably like a four four year period where my dad was just there. At that time, he was working at the post office. So. So he had been involved in business. Yes, and then he stopped doing he business would, stuff. He had committed a, a, a crime, yeah, advertently. Or right, yeah, right. Like business crimes are not hard to get stitched up. Yeah, on. there's like laws and you don't understand, and you I do think, stuff, and then like things and, happen. Yeah, and there are even things that you do that are against the law that don't feel wrong. Yeah, you know, like we're not. Right. Yeah, I, I really I'm not casting aspersions no, against my dad. We shouldn't. Yeah, because your dad has has had to put in work himself. Oofta, yeah, and, I um, love my dad, and. One of the nightmare things about doing this that Luke and I have had to pour over is like, there's a huge consequence to becoming public people and it doesn't always fall just on us. I know. And um, I, don't, I don't know what to say. We've wound up doing this because we feel like we should. And we hope sincerely that it doesn't have negative repercussions on anyone that's involved in the stories that right. we have. But here we are. Here we are. And, what are you going to uh, do? I, we don't know what we're going to do. That's fine. We don't know what's going to happen. We have to. We have to just do it. Right. So, you know, living in Kentucky. One. Yeah. One big thing that happened that was that really stands out in my mind is that I went from being homeschooled at like kindergarten, preschool, maybe even like first grade age, and it was really easy because there were so many of us, and so it was easy to mess around and not do your work or whatever. But I began to go to public school, and dude, let me tell you. Yeah. That was so horrible. I, I like the first year, first grade was like so hard for me. Like I didn't understand what was happening. I had no frame of reference how to interact with other people. My first day of first grade, like my first day I came in late and we were like finishing up paperwork or whatever. And I had been held back because they did like a, a learning test and I like didn't know the things I was supposed to know. And I sat in my first grade classroom totally like off the wall hysterically crying like just sobbing like the entire like for like hours and i just didn't i like remember being so lost so confused not understanding what was happening not understanding 
Why were we all sitting here? What was the point? What were we doing? What was I supposed to be doing? Everybody else felt like they got it. They were just there. They were comfortable. I was totally uncomfortable. I, I also struggled with stuttering. Like I stuttered real hard and I had a hard time with my R's and W's. So I was put into like, like speech therapy, but then also because I had like failed the test to get into second grade or whatever, they put me into like I don't know how to, like, the dumb, like, there was, like, four of us who were, like, just slow learners or whatever in first grade, so we were, like, kind of pulled away from the rest of the class, and it was fine, I mean, it makes sense now, like, I just didn't know the material, but I was of age to be in first grade, so they, and it was fine, I felt more comfortable in that environment with less people, but it was a little bit alienating, um, and that feeling continued all the way through, it wasn't, did you get labeled by the other kids? There wasn't a whole lot of that going on. Or if there was, like, I was so, I just did not even have the framework that a six-year-old should have. You know what I mean? Like, by six, you, like, begin to understand the way the world works a little bit. I just didn't get it. Like, I just, I felt so lost. I just did not understand. I didn't understand, again, what everybody else was doing, why they were doing those things, what I was supposed to be doing. Like, total, total chaos. So, so you're describing... Uh fairly maladjusted yes kid. yeah did well you, it was a little feral you did know? <laughs> you know how to did you know how to act around grown-ups i didn't but then as i got older so i was like moving through elementary school and i began to pick it up i began to pick it up i began to understand but it was like the thing is so by the time i hit fifth grade i got elementary school because you stayed in one class and you knew all your teachers and you knew the work and i began to really excel at school because i'm intelligent you know so i was able to Fifth grade fifth was, grade. it was elementary was fifth and then middle school sixth through eighth and then high school ninth through twelfth. So by the end of elementary school, I began to perceive that there was a way to interact with people that got them to like you. And I really pushed into that because my entire ethos at that time was, how do I get somebody to see me? You know, like I felt really abandoned. I felt really lost. I felt like I was invisible. So my entire framework of interacting with people was, especially adults, was, how can I act in such a way that these adults are going to think that I'm cool and yeah. want to give me attention to be around like me? You. Yeah, exactly. And it was all about that. And I, the rest of my brothers approval. and sisters, yeah, it was all about approval, like okay. straight up. Like, how do I get approval by these people? How do I, how, how can I be accepted? And I could see that other people were behaving in certain ways that adults didn't like. Like I picked on it like really quick. Like there was a couple instances where I was, at somewhere like church or a doctor's appointment and there was a bunch of my family there and i could see that the adults in the room felt uncomfortable and i remember feeling really uncomfortable by their being it's uncomfortable yeah. because the rest of my family were just like me they were maladjusted they didn't know how to interact yeah just feral you know like there was just a lot going on so so you were tuned to approval and acceptance yes hardcore by the time you were in fifth grade. yeah by the by, exactly like all my teachers liked me but and i worked it that way on purpose because i understood that to be the only avenue by which to get any sort of like you know adult that was going to interact with you in any way positively so I was really attuned to that um, and very sensitive to approval, disapproval metrics in relationships, especially with adults, um, which just set it up for such a gnarly <laughs> middle year section, you know, thinking about it. Like, fuck. Did that ultimately... Uh, did it, I, I mean, I'm listening. Uh, well, there's the trauma, the trauma laughter. 
it Such is. a trap, dude. Oofta, oofta. Fuck. You wound up being, you wound up being a kid who, in some sense of compensation, yeah, trauma, yes, or tough stuff, yeah, happened in your life. Right. You wound up being attuned to the approval and acceptance of the adults that you saw. Yes. Around you. Right. And, and I, in the yeah. beginning, I was drawn to like older women because I wanted somebody who was kind and, and that's what the way my mom was. My mom and I were like super yeah. close. I was definitely Kids a mom's boy. Moms. Yeah, yeah. I was like super down, like to be close to my mom. But as I began to get into my preteen and teen years, I began to transition from being really tuned into my mom to tuned into male figures. In I my talked life. about that in the last episode yeah. where there's a, there's a point in I mean, I'm not a specialist or anything, That's but there's fine. a common point in the development of a human male in, in where I live in North <laughs> yeah, America, right. where they begin to have to challenge their role of dependency on their mom, yes. wanting to exert their own independence. Yes. That's when a male figure, you know, theoretically would be there to scoop them up and, uh, you know, like affirm their independence. Yes. Right. And also enforce. Right, that they are now protector and helper of and nurturer of mom. I mean, yes, you know, I'm these these are often referred to as traditional roles. Right, I have heard biologists talk about them as evolutionary, right? You know, roles. I don't. I'm I'm not a guy. And then in the Christian faith that you and I both share, yeah, um, these are. These are addressed as, and I think that's more on the traditional end of it. These are addressed as God honoring yeah. models of living. And you yes. can see where, um, now your, your dad went to prison. Yeah, that was probably when I was like in, probably like in the beginning, end of fifth grade, maybe uh -huh. the summer between fifth and sixth grade, probably so, where that happened. And was he in for two years? Or yeah, like it was like, it was like three years and then he got out in two and then probation for one or something and parole and, for and, a while. I don't know. God bless and good on him. Yeah. He also didn't he get sick? He so that was after. After that. Yeah, that he was went through. What did, what uh, did it was colon him? cancer. He like got, yeah, like stage four, like really bad. We thought he was gonna die. It was like so, full on gear like And he I, recovered. He recovered, praise God. Amazing. Yeah, it was awesome. Amazing. But, so I love how you're like praise God and you're also like F words. Yeah, I know. I love you, bro. Well, there's both in there. <laughs> this is just what I bring to the table today. Tell the Lord I said I was sorry. Because uh, <laughs> you're dying first. <laughs> yeah, you're dying first. Huh? We all know I'm dying first. So, uh, so what was interesting is that I, yeah, like this, this wanting approval from adults. I was really geared into my mom's approval and her affection. Sure. And um, and it was interesting because at home, especially when my dad went to jail, I had an older brother. And he, then it became Lord of the Flies. My mom like went off the deep end into like um, manic depressive, like yeah. sleep in 14, 12, 16 hours a day. Yeah. Um, and my standard issue. Yeah. Standard it issue. Really just is. chaos. And my older brother, he was in the throes. I mean, he was probably 14, 15, 16 when all this was going down. And he was in the absolute throes of trying to figure out how to be alive and uh, deal with all the chaos that he had experienced um so he was he enjoyed kind of um torturing torturing yeah I mean, it really was <laughs> I, 
it was like kind it's of not funny. Yeah, it was like good-hearted in some ways, but it was very dark in other ways. It, I was terrified of him for a long time because he was so much older than I was, and he enjoyed he enjoyed like making us do stuff like he'd make us like spar one another, and he would like get a BB gun and be like, "All right, you run. I'm gonna give you three seconds." And then he would like shoot at us, and it was like totally terrifying. Did you, all... ever, take a, did you ever take a round? Oh fuck yeah, all the time, dude. Yeah. It would did suck, they ever penetrate dude. the flesh? I don't think they ever penetrated the flesh, but definitely getting shot all the time. But what was even? It wasn't even the pain. It was the terror yes. of being like, "There's nobody here who's gonna save you. You are totally sol right now, dude." You like, are talking about a a kid who's growing up with a high blood cortisol. Yeah, literally at all times, like the stress level was yeah. off the chain, dude. And Dude, yeah, one, he slept in the barn. We had like a we had a barn, and he would sleep out there. And one time we were out there hanging out, and he was like, "All right, I'm gonna shoot you guys. I'll give you ten seconds." And so we're like zigzagging through, trying to get back to the house. And then you can like hear the BBs going by and like hitting the house. And he's pumping the he's pumping the fuckers up like so fifteen it was, times. It wasn't a like, Daisy one pump. No, it was like an actual pellet rifle, and he like you could hear it hit the house like whoppa. Lead pellet. I think he was using BBs, but it might have been pellets, dude. I mean, the guy was a savage. I was like, bro, can you please not do this? Like, and you would like run from him and he would chase you. Like one time he, he chased me down and I would like curl, curl up in a ball, just hoping that it would fucking stop. And like, I remember him kind of mocking me like, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? You just going to lay there? Like, I was like, yeah, bro, I'm definitely going to do that. Cause you're like got 75 pounds on me. Like, what do you want me to do? Fight back. So you get the. The pleasure of destructing me even more and then it was you know like i didn't hate him i just was terrified of him and it was really powerful the course i think for people who had experienced the things that he experienced and what were those things well later on it it turned out that my older brother who had passed had been molested by perhaps a babysitter okay. for a substantial period of time okay. i don't know the time frames on them and that he had got my young my my other older brother, um, and I think that my older brother, when we were in Kentucky, was really in the throes of working, trying to figure out how life was supposed to be lived at all in the trauma and chaos of the things that he had experienced. Because, I mean, looking back, ain't nobody getting out of this clean. You know, like, ain't nobody, nobody is a hero here. Nobody everybody behaved exactly how you would expect a person to behave under those circumstances. I don't, it's easy, like you said, to try to put people in categories and box stories up, but that's not the way that we work. We're, we do good things and we do evil things. And yeah. it's all the same. It's the same person doing both of them, you know, cause there were other times where he was sick. He was really fun to be around and like he would, we play fun games together, but then other times he was a bit of a tyrant. Yeah. And I think that he was working out. Yeah. How to be or, alive without a dad in that zone. Uh, that that's really that's really a, a tough one because everything would be easier for the teller of a story right if yeah there were just they good guys and bad guys able, yeah if you were right. able to be binary about it right these were the bad guys these were the good guys but yep. when you're in a family and your family has been affected by SA or SRA and you're you're experiencing the difficulties 
of SA yeah. on top of the difficulty of, I mean, you described, you talked about a hot LZ. <laughs> yeah, dude. And, uh, and apologies I, to all our military guys out there. But, well, I don't think really our military is. guys have any stones <laughs> to throw. Good. Uh, that's um, what it felt like, dude. It was. Uh, uh, but uh, but you, you talk about, I mean, I'm thinking about the difficulty of a miscarriage. Yeah. Even um, just one, dude. Even just one. Yeah. And your, your, your story includes multiple of that yeah and then and then a a child who dies in their first year yeah savage. and then a a uh, child who dies at 16 16 really who old. had been who had been accessed by molestation yeah who then actuated that right their relationship with their siblings yeah siblings who surviving after the death of that sibling yeah have to figure out how to handle a developing sexuality yes um and it wasn't just BB guns. No, oh, uh, yeah. Also, he also acted out. Yeah, in, in that, that way. way yes. with with his siblings. And so that's that is. I would like to add that is. Um, what's the word? That's alleged. That is alleged. Oh, okay. It's, so it's that so that is alleged. I can't. I don't have. But he was he was dealing with that. Okay, yeah, so that's not. It, it was alleged in some ways, but another way, not so much alleged. But and, it. Yeah, and and so you have, um, but it, it, the fact of the matter is, I can see because I my brother and I used to shoot BB guns at each other. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, um, that game is fun. It like, is. I there's uh, a way to play it that's fun. And, you know, and it's really dangerous. Oh, it's super stupid, dangerous! Really, yeah. really stupid. But unsupervised kids always get in trouble. And, yeah, that's what and it is. the ones that survive learn from it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I skimmed my friend's eye like right at his cheek one time. We were playing with the one pump daisies and we one were shooting daisy. at each other and I skimmed right under his eye and even then, no safety glass or anything, and we all were kind of took a beat and we're like, All right, back at it. You know, like yeah, but my, we were like, huh. My brother my brother and I were playing the same game. Yeah, dude. And I hit my brother right there. <laughs> straight shot. Oh bro, dude. And um uh, you know, you you have this feeling like Oofta, dude. Dude. Oofta, dude. That horrible, your guts just drop out. Yeah. And just, yeah. Exactly. Well, th this, I literally, like. Need I'm a like, detox? <laughs> well, we're at, we're at about 53 minutes. Yeah. And we're, we're doing hour longs and I get it because these stories of ours are, I mean, mine's difficult to tell because I'm, you know, you have to leave out so much and like that, but this one I can appreciate. This is a, a really hard one to tell. I'd like to add. Yeah, I think there's just time a, to yeah. Add. I think just in the ten minutes we have, I, one another thing that happened just as I was under beginning to understand how elementary school worked because there were bullies and and people who were mean and I also like was a bit of a target for them because I was a little bit crazy and off the wall, but I also didn't like it when people were mean to each other. It really bothered me. It. it it like got inside me and I felt this hot feeling like it was felt so unjust that somebody would behave so poorly. Um, and so we moved from elementary school, which I had finally figured out and we went to middle school and dude, I'm still kind of pissed about this because here's the thing. You go from elementary school where you have one teacher, you know exactly where your classroom is. You know what's going on. You understand how lunch works. And then you go to middle school and suddenly it's a huge building and it's sixth and seventh and eighth graders and they all have classes that are like all over the place. And nobody tells you, like, what's a homeroom? What is it? What is that? Do you go every day? Do you only go once a fucking semester? 
I could not figure it out. And again, everybody else around me, just happy, smiling, hanging out with their friends, going right to where they need to go. So the first day, you like spend the entire day in homeroom, but there's nobody there to help you get Wait, there. You stay the, oh, the first day of school. Yeah. And it, you do that every semester. Every semester, you go to homeroom for like one day to like get your class schedule or whatever. And okay. then they send you out or maybe you go for like an hour and then you go. Nobody said anything about that. It was just like you got off the bus and suddenly you, there you are at this monolithic. What was your like, feeling? Did the other kids know? Dude, I felt like they all knew. Yeah. I felt like I was the only one who didn't understand. It fucking sucked so bad. And I was on the verge of tears all day, dude. Like on the verge of tears all day because I just did not understand. And then it's like you ask a teacher and you feel like maybe the teacher thinks that you're stupid or you're being annoying because they're stressed out for the day. And so like it was this entire rigmarole. It takes like a month. And during that time, that was when my dad had just gone to prison. And I remember all the time telling my mom, I'd wake up and be like, I don't feel good. I don't want to go to school. Yeah. I feel sick. And I really did, dude. I, w I would feel sick to my stomach. Like it was just anxiety. Like I just, because it was like, once you got one thing figured out, it was like, here's another curveball. So like all the yeah. baselines that you have set, all the rubrics for your life are just useless. Like you feel like they're just useless and you, yeah. you're always on the losing team. You're always on the losing side of that battle, you know, like, because as soon as you figure out the rules, they change the rules. Nobody's telling you what the rules are. There was no orientation. Even though looking back, I understand that that first day was orientation. We went to the homeroom so that they could explain there's different classrooms. But There's a difference between orientation as an event yeah. and disorientation as a state exactly. of mind. Yeah, I was yeah. extremely disoriented. Definitely on the verge of tears all day. And definitely remembering that first grade experience and feeling how ashamed I had felt in first grade for doing that. But then... And I was like, I can't just sit here and cry all day. Like, I got to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And feeling so embattled, dude. Like, so embattled. It felt like everything was such a war zone at all times. Like, and you never knew what was going to come next. And somehow I got it figured out. I think I asked a teacher and then my homeroom teacher helped me maybe. And But it took like a month or something before I finally was like, okay, now I go here. And now, and here's lunch now. Oh, dude. Another one of those experiences I remember elementary school i got off the bus and they started to serve breakfast at school breakfast wasn't free though lunch was free breakfast wasn't free but i watched i was watching everybody else what they were doing and everybody was going into the cafeteria so i just followed them you loaded up a tray i loaded up a tray dude and you get to the end and they're like oh that'll be five bucks and you just stand there dude i remember that's i bad. like literally wanted to die like that's i a that's about you had to abandon the tray i think i abandoned the tray or maybe they just gave it to me or somebody helped me out but i remember feeling so ashamed and i was like how is a person supposed to know this what where are the rules somebody write them down i will read them that's the kind of thing that they tell a kid yeah and some thing they read to a group of kids yes how old you were sixth grade sixth grade when i went to elementary school but the the breakfast thing was in elementary yeah. school i was maybe like like first grade again like oh dude i remember now it's all coming back so first grade i was so traumatized the the principal of the school could see that i was having a really difficult time so she told me hey every morning come to my office and you can hang with me and then i'll walk you to your class and i felt safe That's but then like halfway through the school year i like get there and i'm like hey i'm here to see mrs so-and-so and the the um, receptionist is like, well, she's not here. And she's like kind of angry at me for being there. And you're just in this wormhole, you know, of like nothing makes any sense. The entire world is upside down. Then what am I supposed to do? Because there was just like 20 minutes between like the when you're supposed to be at class. Yes. And like, it's like, what are you supposed to do? You just hang out in the hall with no friends and just stay in there. You know what I mean? Like, 
and even <laughs> so even savage, listening to dude. that, even listening to that, you can see how like little kids yeah can both pick up on what a grown-up is thinking yes or miss it yeah completely and i rem i remember similar stuff and it's so formative and with with the we've thrown around the word trauma a lot yeah that's not the worst term i think i really i hold that it is still the best term as much as yeah. it's overused and no. been kind of shit on i think we should just take it back because it really is the best term to use because it yeah. absolutely is the best way to explain it like it was so Things are traumatizing. You're totally freaked out, and it's like cataclysmically ripples through your life as the years go by. Like it's, it is true. Like the feelings we felt when we were little kids, yeah, have a huge effect on the daily feelings we feel when we're adults, right? And you know, um, that's really that's it's really it, super. It is super intense. Yeah, it's been. I mean, it. It's only been in the last probably five years of my life that some of this stuff has like shaken out. Like I was still nervous to go to a restaurant or call somebody on the phone or do things of that nature for yeah. a long time. And it's just yeah. now that I'm like reaching this state of maturity and like unwiring and rewiring your brain where like, Hey, no, it's okay. It's okay that you don't know. It's okay that you can ask somebody how to and how old help. are you now? 27. You're 27. Yeah. Years I mean, old. dude, it's long term, man. That stuff is long term. And you're married. I'm married. And, uh, and other things and other things as well yeah, yeah absolutely yeah so which is sick yeah it's um but living living lifelong with and it's the i mean i like a lot <laughs> of this is very common and i use yeah. the word common with distinction from normal right um the fact that something's common doesn't make it okay yeah but in the discovery that it's common, right? There can be a sense of encouragement. Yes. That well, if it's common, then a I'm not alone. Right. Uh, B maybe there are people who can e effectually help me. Yeah. Right. Um, there are plenty of people who can't, and there are plenty of people who will say they can. Right. And not. Right. But right. So this brings us up to you in sixth, seventh sixth grade. grade. It's a good yeah. point to yeah. take a breath. Right. I honestly am. Like, <laughs> um, it's heavy. It's heavy it to tell the story. It is. Um, especially this is a, such a. It's such a strange age. Yeah. Where I will. You know, you'll see things going on, and you go, "Man, I wish it were different or better." Right. And then there's a challenge there. Right. Like, well, if you want it to be different or better, um, why don't you why don't you do what they're doing and give it a try? Right. Right. And this sort of thing is our try. Yeah. Give me a shot here. And when as soon as you start to try, yeah. Um, you know, uh, I did this some years ago in just wanting skateboard decks. Yeah. To mean to others what they meant to me when I was young. Right. It was a value system. And I gave it a try, haven't stopped, right? but uh, found out that, wow, there's a lot going on when you offer yes. your part. Yes. And we're not asking for anything, but we, this, this sort of thing is, I mean, uh, it's like, this is risky. It is. 
it's risky. But it's the stuff I want to talk about. Like, if, yeah. if, I mean, if I, man, yeah, I think this stuff is so important to talk about, especially the essay stuff, and it's especially because, man, it is an ocean of people, an ocean of people out there holding it all in, just gutting out everyday life with the experience of having a dirty uncle or a person who or a dad or a brother or a sister or a mom or a stepdad or a foster parent who absolutely ravaged your life and that is this this is what we should be talking about like this stuff is so important so important sun tzu wrote the art of war yes i read it yes at least twice it was good. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> but what I did take away, there are a bunch of really uh, good pieces in there. But one thing I took away was the way I remember it is find out what the rules are. Yes, yeah. you got to get the lay of the land and find out what the rules are. Right. And then you got to figure out there's like one rule or two. Right. That if you break it, yeah, you win. Right. Break that rule. Yes. And on the topic of, there are several dynamics yeah. and several themes that will be repeated in our work. Yeah. The rule to break is talk about it. Yeah. That's the rule. Yeah. And so when it comes to things that, that aren't talked about, yeah. um, because that's the rule. That's a rule we're we're willing to break. Now the problem yes. with breaking rules, as in all war, yep, um, there are always casualties. Absolutely. And you know, there's this military term. I'm not military, but there's this military term, collateral damage. One yep. of the problems with with warfare, and sadly, a lot of life seems to mirror the battlefield. Yep. Uh, when it comes to living a life well, is people get hurt yep. and loss is suffered yep. and, and we always want to limit collateral damage but you can't if you're gonna and so you know this one goes out to folks who get hurt yep. when we tell our story yeah um we we can't we can't keep you from being hurt right um but we also can't not tell a story right and so you know as we go forward next episode with luke will be um taking it from there right and i think that it's going to be a little bit gloves off right maybe and, not gloves off toward people but right. toward situations yeah and um you know big tw on that <laughs> one because i know luke's story yeah. yeah and have walked with him for a decade yeah so thank you dear listeners yes for the time you spent with us today yep and um, we're not sure when this one will air. Right. Um, we think we'll probably put it up pretty soon. Yep. But um, as these roll out, uh, our highest hope is that you'd be encouraged that you're loved and you matter. Yep. Even though I don't think we say that enough. It wouldn't sound right if we did. Yeah. It's um, important. Yeah, it is. But it's also difficult because you might be loved and you might matter, but you also might need to make some big changes. Yep. Um, some yeah. of the people who listen to this might be people who have committed acts. Yeah. And 
taking responsibility for that might be their takeaway. Oof to dude. Yeah. That is a, that is a, that's a nasty one. Yep. That's one of the things like a lot of times when people have experienced SA or they've experienced trauma in their life. Yeah. Um, people listening sometimes are the people who've done stuff like that, borderline or uh, narcissism or those type of things. Right. And, you know, and there isn't a lot of equipping toward taking responsibility for the things we've done. Yep. A lot of times people will offer accountability. Yep. Um, but that doesn't equip a person to take responsibility. What I mean is that the world is heavy on consequences. Yeah. But they're not big on a more compassionate process yeah. of, you know, like these things got done. These yeah. things happened. Right. These things were done by a, like you. Yeah. How do you take responsibility? Yeah. These are cause for great reflection and consideration. Yeah. And I don't know how. I don't know how. I've seen the other side of it. Yeah. I've seen people who will not take responsibility for what they've done a lot more than yeah. folks who will. Yeah. And that makes sense. Yes. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I still do not uh, indulge in the attitude of hate yeah. toward people who've done just ter- awful things. Unspeakable things, yeah. I don't, I right. don't have that, that kind of hate. Right in my disposition no me neither so like on the one side like if you're in that place of collateral damage and you you are feeling hurt by the story yeah or you're a, in a place of sympathetic yeah uh that's the kind of thing that happened to me yeah or if you're in a place of nothing like this happened to you but it, it absolutely enrages you yeah or if you're a person who is in a place of accountability yep. looming consequence yeah you know um our hearts go out to you yeah and we have become i i've become convinced that there is a creator god that jesus really means something and that there is hope beyond the terrible contours of our world just like there's a limit to its beauty. Yep. And uh, our highest recommendation is that you square things with your maker. Yep. And uh, you, that you put in the work and, and square it up because it's over for a lot more longer than it is uh, not over. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I don't know. Let's, for what it's worth. Yeah. Now. We're uh, with you folks out there. I mean, to the you. extent that we can. Be. Yeah, I mean, we're just two guys. We're two voices yeah. in a very, very strange <laughs> yeah. land. And, and we're not unstrange. Yes. All right. For what it's worth, Captain Lou and Luke. Yep. And we'll catch you on the next one. Laters.